You are listening to a podcast from WSUM. Catch UCM Exceptional live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on 91.7 FM Madison. The opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. This show was pre-recorded over a video call on the afternoon of February 27th. Hello, Madison, and welcome to You Seem Exceptional, an interview show that you are currently listening to on WSUM 91.7 FM Madison. Each week on this show, we will have a guest on to get to know them and their story. I'm your host, Oliver Gearhars. This is my co-host, Jeb Blossom. And today our guest is... Former President Barack Obama. Thank you for joining us, Mr. President. Uh, you're welcome, Oliver. Jeb, uh, do you guys validate parking? I had to, I had to park in the ramp. <laughs> Today our guest is actually Jason Stevens, voice artist. So, Jason, thanks for coming on this week. I'd like to start with uh, where are you from? I am currently from Prairie de Sac, Wisconsin, but originally from Madison, and then before that, I was born and raised in Dodgeville. Wisconsin. How did you end up getting to Madison? Uh, I Well, I grew up in Dodgeville, and then uh, I got a job in radio in Dodgeville, and then uh, well, I went to college at uh, Gateway Technical College in Kenosha, and then I uh, got a job in my little hometown radio station, and from there into Madison. And I was in radio in Madison for a little over a decade, and... Then I stopped being in radio <laughs> and then uh, did voiceover work from a home studio. Uh, but Madison on the east side was a little too loud. Uh, we were right under the flight path from the airport. Yeah. So we moved We moved where it was quiet. And so that's uh, I've been here since 2017. So you mentioned uh, oh, over there, you sort of talked about how you were on the radio, how you did a little bit of voice work. Uh, so you, yeah. you've been described as a professional imitator. What does that mean? <laughs> so, so it's a it's a like a fun uh, way to phrase it. I guess the official title that I use probably more than anything is uh, like voice actor because it's really accessible. People know what a voice actor is. Um, but a voice artist might describe me a little better because sometimes it's less acting and more imitation. So a professional imitator or professional impersonator. There's there's a lot of different words, and they all kind of mean slightly different things. But that's what I do. Speaking of a lot of – that leads pretty well into my next question. So a lot of different words that seem pretty similar. So on your website, you, you go down the list of sound-alike impressions and mimicry. Do you see any yeah. lines between those three? Yeah. So, okay. So I think of imitating as mimicry. It's sort of the same thing. Like you mimic your uncle, you mimic <laughs> your teacher in elementary school, right? It's a fun thing. It's not official. It's very amateur. And then you've got sound alike, which is another way to say voice matching. And how I would describe voice matching to someone who has no knowledge about the voiceover industry is that... If you have a movie trailer and the actor in the movie trailer is saying a line of dialogue and they need that to say something slightly different, they need to match that voice and they need somebody who can match that voice. Before AI and before the ability to do that digitally, uh, they hired people like me 
who could impersonate or imitate the actors in question recording the new line of dialogue that better fits for the idea of the movie trailer. So how did you get started doing that? (laughs) That was mimicry. Like when I was a kid, I have two older brothers and I would want to make them laugh. So I would imitate relatives and teachers and uh, I made up little characters and things when I was a kid. And then when I got a little older and my voice finally changed and got through puberty and I got into college and I was in like college radio, then I was like, well, I got to do voices because I'm good at it. And so I was doing like George W. Bush. Not, <laughs> I was doing George H.W. Bush because it was like 1992, <laughs> right? Uh, so I was doing like like bits and characters and imitating, you know, people from pop culture and things like that. Uh, after that, I, I, well, I did that a long time in radio till 2012. And then I got really lucky. Like I was doing, uh, some YouTube stuff with some friends based in Madison, uh, uh, blame society films, the guys who created Chad Vader. And now they, they have a show, uh, YouTube series called beer and board games. And, uh, Matt and Aaron convinced me that I needed to do, uh, voices for a, a little web series they were working on called, Celebrity Bric-a-Brac Theater, where I was doing the voices of John Madden and Christopher Walken and Morgan Freeman and uh, Jeff Goldblum, I think. Nicolas Cage was one of them. I was doing all these voices. I was voicing these knickknacks as they were having little adventures. And that sort of took off. And then next thing you know, I was doing video game playthroughs as Christopher Walken. We called them Christopher Walken-throughs. And that was kind of where everything broke open and uh, the right people found them. And next thing you know, I got somebody asking me to uh, do a sound alike of Billy Bob Thornton for a movie that he was in uh, to replace some of his dialogue. And uh, then I got a manager and the Tonight Show uh, casting director contacted me and said, we need somebody who can sound like Morgan Freeman to do some bits. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) That's the pretty short short version of it yeah so you mentioned that you did a uh, christopher walken throughs and uh i i looked at the uh I, I guess maybe speech you did at ignite madison a few years ago or seven years ago oh yeah. Uh, yeah and you said that, that one a long of, time now one of your your big breaks near the start was obama plays titanfall <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. You know, uh, I didn't often play the video games while I was doing them. Oh. I would just riff the footage. Was it Because your I couldn't. Even? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. Like, I got really good at doing the voices, and somebody else got really good at playing the game. So <laughs> I just kind of merged those two things together. Uh, but, yeah, I riffed the stuff, and then the, the, the videos were edited, so the best of, of the lines made it in. Next thing you know, like Time.com did a write-up on, you know, Barack Obama playing Titanfall. And then, yeah, it was, I think I was on vacation with my family. Like, we went up to the Wisconsin Dells or something for a weekend. And I looked at my phone. I'm like, how does my website, how did we, how did I get 100,000 views on my website? Like, I don't even know what I did. Yeah. 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 And so my vacation was like mostly me just looking at the web hits on my phone. It uh, kind of guess... sucked, but it was for for the best reasons, right? I guess there are pros and cons to that sort of uh, explosion at that kind of time. 
So exactly. So, sort of uh, continuing on the Obama plays Titanfall, and and earlier you mentioned how AI voice work is a thing. Did you see the 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 gaming presidents videos last year? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I did. I think somebody probably shared them with me, and I, but I don't remember the I don't remember the the exact context. So it would be videos of of Obama, Biden, and Trump playing like. I mean, Titanfall probably. Yeah, COD, <laughs> Call of Duty. But they were, but they were, were they AI or yeah, was they it were somebody AI. impersonating yeah. them? They were AI. Okay, yeah. Somebody did share that with me, and I remember lo- watching it and hearing it and um, feeling like rage. Right, <laughs> like here I am. I spent my entire youth learning how to do this, and now technology has gotten to a point where. Anyone can do it if they just type the words in and the program does it for them. So I was a little ticked off, I think, when I saw those. So that's why I didn't really commit them to memory, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I just, uh, I, in my head, that was like this weird like breakthrough moment for like the, the AI stuff where it was like, yeah. oh, I can watch Joe Biden and Donald Trump and they're like friends on Call of Duty <laughs> every night. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that now. I remember that pretty clearly, because I had done, uh, I had done like Donald Trump playing video games, and obviously the Obama stuff like seven years prior, and uh, and I, you know, a lot of it is performance, but then there's also that sort of like you want to be really accurate, and there's no way you can compete accurately in terms of tone and timber with AI. But you can be more clever, and you can be a better actor, and you, of course, you can interact with human beings in in a way that AI can't yet. So there, I mean, there's still some room yet to play, if you're me. Yeah. So I mean, continuing on the topic of AI, I mean, you also mentioned production effects as sort of a an, another thing that came into your field. Uh, what was the first time you noticed sort of technology coming in on what you do? Uh, so for me, there's there's not a lot of people who do exactly what I do with regard to film trailers or sound alike stuff um, for like corporate pitches. So for example, uh, there was a power company out of Texas and they wanted to hire Matthew McConaughey to be the voice of their company. But you can't just go to Matthew McConaughey and say, sir, would you like to do this thing? You have to like go to his agent and in order to get the idea like in audio form they hired me to sound like matthew mcconaughey enough that they could present it to matthew mcconaughey's agent and then they could say okay or no uh but it was about that time that this was a few years ago now and and it occurred to me that if you were able to do this really cleanly without having to use a lot of post-production effects then it, sound, it sounded better, but if there was something you were trying to do digitally with your own voice, you could tell. And that would take you out of the, uh, the bit. It would take you out of the thing you were listening to because there's a part of your brain that kind of clicks and it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. And then you're trying to figure out why it doesn't sound quite right. But if you're a human and you're doing it, you kind of circumvent that a little bit. I mean, it's still a thing. Like if somebody hears me doing you know, like a Matthew McConaughey impression. And they're going to want to know, like, how the hell is this guy doing this? Is this really Matthew McConaughey or not? You know, but it's harder to detect that if it's a real human voice than than if there's a bunch of production on it. Hmm. 
So uh, I was kind of wondering, what was the first impression that you got really good at? Oh, my God. <clears throat> so back in, I want to say, like 1990, I was doing, I was listening to the radio, small town, right, small town radio station, and they ran Paul Harvey News and Comment. It's, he's this legendary, he's been dead for years and years, but he was a really legendary broadcaster, old school broadcaster. In the 90s, he was already in his 90s, so wow. <laughs> uh, he was already like well past, you know, uh, past, he was relevant like any small town uh, in any in any state, I mean, you're going to have people who know who Paul Harvey is. And that's why, like, Dodge Ram Trucks uh, did the Paul Harvey, so God made a farmer thing, right? Uh, but that was, you know, 2012, I think. Uh, so anyway, anyway, in the 90s, like, I got really good at doing Paul Harvey impressions. And nobody my age, like, knew who Paul no. Harvey was, <laughs> which was a really horrible choice for me to learn how to do a really good impression of Paul Harvey. So I'd like, yeah, hello, Americans, this is Paul Harvey. Uh, good day. That was the gist of the uh, the impression. Huh. I mean, you said choice. Is it? Did you just sort of stumble into doing that? Was it sort of like you said how you're doing mimicry for your brothers as a kid, but only yeah. for the people yeah. around you? Yeah, like, like a voice that you hear every day when you're eating breakfast before you go to school, it really gets embedded in your brain. And... I learned his inflections. I probably had to practice like by myself in my room for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> like a nerd. But uh, once I got it, like my 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 mouth, my tongue, my my all of that stuff, it just kind of I kind of knew how to move it. I knew how to make the sounds. It was like like muscle memory, right? Like you practice long enough, and you don't have to think about it anymore. You can hear a voice. And you kind of know the direction you need to push your body to get it to do that. And Paul Harvey was easy because he was sort of in my range. And uh, I didn't have to try really hard. So, like, I, that's part of the reason why I picked that voice, I think, as my first one. Because it was kind of easy. So was it sort of something that you were looking to get into? I had no idea it was a thing you could get into. <laughs> uh, I mean... Honestly, until like 2014, when oh, wow. things started to pop off for me, I had no idea people did this like for a living, like the movie trailer stuff. I mean, I knew people did voiceover stuff because I was in radio. So I was already doing uh, radio commercials and, you know, some TV commercial narration and voiceover stuff like that. And I knew people did animation and video game voiceover. But. I found this really weird little corner of the voiceover industry and kind of tucked myself right in there. Hmm. So when you were talking about your Paul Harvey impression, you said like a lot about how you move your body and your mouth. Is there any like specific, yeah. I guess, uh, syllable that's hard, that was hard for you then? Or it, it, I mean, not there, necessarily Paul Harvey, but yeah, it's different with every voice. Uh, every person has a, a speech pattern. Every person speaks with their teeth in a certain place and their tongue in a certain place, and they use a certain amount of air when they... It's really, like, highly technical, but some words are really hard to say uh, if you're doing a Jeff Goldblum impression. 
And if you're doing Patrick Stewart, it's easier to say those words and harder to say other words. Like, they kind of break you out of the voice. So, you know, it, it varies based on the on the voice, on the person. And uh, sometimes you have to change words in a script because they just don't sound right, you know? Ah. Uh, was there any, like one particular word that you had for an impression where you where it was like you finally got it and it was like a victory for you well yeah if you if you're so if you're trying to learn how to do an impression of somebody uh, you need sort of something you can latch on to something that you hear them say all the time so for like arnold schwarzenegger it's always come on get out get down come on get to the chopper let's go what's wrong with you that's the thing I say to get me into Arnold's voice. And once I'm in, I'm in. And then I can kind of play around in there. Uh, so, yeah, once you get the phrase and you repeat it enough, uh, you, you have to be able to. So, like, what I do, I think I described it before to, to people, like, you have to have a good ear because you have to know if you're accurate or not. If you don't have a good enough ear to tell if you're accurate or not, you're, you know, you're, you're not going to do a very good job. And then having those key, like key little phrases kind of allow you to, to let your ear go because every time you do those phrases, you know that you're like 80% of the way there, you know? Yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting. So do you have uh, a certain impression that you think is your best? I've got a few, and it depends on the day, you know, because the human body is a goofy thing. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, somebody like Barack Obama is, is the kind of voice that I think I do really well. And I don't know if I could call Michelle and fool her, but I think a majority of people would probably think it's him if they heard it on a phone or whatever, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think he's probably right up there. Uh, I think Jeff Goldblum is probably... I was just about to break into a Jeff Goldblum, and I wasn't <laughs> feeling it. So <laughs> I kind of bailed on it at the last second. Usually he's really good, but uh, bouncing from one voice to another can be a little tricky sometimes. So it just depends on the day. And once I'm in a zone, if I'm if I listen to somebody and then I get their voice dialed in, if I can just kind of hang out in that voice, it gets better. Uh, but if I have to, you know, jump around, then the accuracy kind of dips a little bit. Hmm. You got to get like locked into Obama practice here. Let me be clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to you have to have the sometimes you have to go back to the, the phrase that really locks them in because sometimes you drift a little bit. So in my head, like you said, let me be clear, is the Obama, like, locked-in <laughs> phrase. Is that a, is that a, what would you say, Jason? Yeah, I would really? say, you know, I don't say that one. <laughs> uh, let me, let me be clear. <laughs> oh, my uh, you God. Know, <laughs> but, like, the little weird. affectations of uh, leading in with that, just that little sound. And then you say your thing. That's how he speaks. Uh and, uh, boy, Trump is, uh, he is something. Uh, <clears throat> let's see if I can get into him. A lot of people say that I'm the best. And, no, he's not He's not coming to me today. It, and that's fine. Some days, I some, think it was going some pretty days the universe tells you. Second, that, yeah. 
<laughs> Look, I love this radio show. I don't know what it's called, but my people told me that uh, Oliver's very good. It's the best. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's a little, it's a little off today, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's always worth a shot. So you said that. Um... In our email correspondence leading up to this, you said that you sort of had a lot to say about what it was like uh, having ADHD and sort of running this small business of being a voice actor and also, in extension, having a neurodiverse child in a public school. Yeah. It, uh, it wasn't easy. It hasn't been easy. And it doesn't get any easier. Uh, I think having ADHD is different for everyone who has ADHD. And that goes for anyone who's neurodiverse. If you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person. And we're all different. Every human being is is different in how they process information. Or, you know, uh, my child uh, may not have a grasp of uh, numbers and math, but they are strong in other areas. So just like that, I may not be really great at uh, running a, a business, you know, a certain way, but running it the way I run it is easier for me because I, I think more fluidly and schedules and tight deadlines don't always work real well for me. I, you know, power through, I hyper-focus to get things done and that works really well if I'm excited about the thing that I'm doing. But if there's a second thing that I'm more excited about, it's very difficult to rein in that uh, impulse to uh, jump to the fun thing. And I think that's, that's something a lot of people face, uh, whether they're neurodiverse or not. Um, I lose, my, I lose my, my train of thought. Uh, fairly frequently because it feels to me like my brain is going in two different... It's a bag of squirrels in my head, essentially. And uh, sometimes the squirrels get out. And you, <laughs> you have to either ignore the squirrels that got out or try to catch them and put them back in the bag. And often I would have to ask, uh, where were we now? What was I saying? So I don't know if that's getting any better as I get older, but uh, it's something I I've come to terms with. And one of the nice things about having neurodiverse people in my house, uh, in addition to, to me, is that we get each other. And that is uh, something that I feel like the public school system is trying to do, but doesn't always do really well. Uh, because you have a lot of people who have opinions based on old knowledge and uh, old uh, standards, you know. Um, for example, uh, a lot of public schools, uh, as, 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 as far as my uh, impression and as far as my experience goes, a lot of public schools may still be using uh, diagnostics from 2010. And in 2010, uh, people who presented autistic uh, traits uh, were not seen as such a diverse group of people. 
again, if you know one person, you know one person. Everybody's different. And so you try to put everybody in a box because it's convenient and because it's efficient and because you are a, a, a state, uh, you know, you have to follow state guidelines. So you try to put everybody in the same box because kind of because you have to. And then you always end up with people who fall outside of the box. And that can be really hard. But when my kids come home from school, they know that here they can be their authentic selves and they're not going to get, you know, docked points or have to stay in from recess or any of that stuff. So I guess that's the blessing of it all, if there is one, that, uh, you know, you find your people and uh, the people who get you are your are your people. Hmm. So something really stuck out that you said to me, a uh, bag of squirrels. <laughs> is that, yeah. some, is that a, <laughs> what is it? Idiom? That is, is that what that is? Metaphor. A metaphor. Uh, <laughs> did you come yeah, up with that I a think. while ago? That feels like, that feels like a hard one to I, say on the spot. I've probably said it a few times over the years. I started saying it again recently. I don't remember <laughs> who I was talking to, but, uh, I I was like, hey, it's uh, I'm a bag of squirrels, man. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and they laughed, and I'm like, I gotta keep saying that because it's funny. It yeah. is. It is. It is a great line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very visual. I mean, everybody everybody knows what a squirrel is. Everybody can imagine <laughs> a bag of squirrels, even if you've never seen one. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who's seen a bag of squirrels. To be totally honest. <laughs> What's the career landscape of a uh, in this in the voice acting world like right now? I feel I feel kind of weird, uh, sort of uh, offering an opinion about it because it's changing so fast. And I feel like yeah, I'm kind of an expert in my little corner of the world, but I don't think I'm an expert at. Um, I, I don't have a vision for where the where that career landscape is going to be or what it's going to look like in five years or even 10 years. Uh, it's not as good as it was 10 years ago. And part of that is because the cost of entry into voiceover work dropped substantially from 1990, uh, you know, through 2010. Uh, it used to cost, you know, $10,000 to build a studio and to buy a microphone and to get all the equipment and everything. And to patch in with other studios would have been like, you know, the equipment that you needed would have been in the, in the thousands of dollars. But when a lot of people can get into an industry and get really good at it, if they stay in it, then competition for jobs goes up. And there, that's not really a problem because it forces everybody in the industry to either specialize, get better, or drop their prices. And that's kind of where an overabundance of options for people to hire can, can make it more difficult. Like you can have 100 people who make $1,000 a year, or you can have two people who can eke out a living and, you know, capitalism. Right. Uh, it doesn't it wasn't really great uh, during the pandemic. But then you add in like the sag after a strike, the writer's strike and A.I. And it's sort of like the, the punches just keep coming. 
And in order to make a living, you have to re-examine what you're doing and how and how you're reaching people and what your strengths really are. And can you compete with AI? Do you want to compete with AI? Do you have to? Uh, a lot of people like really great, well-known narrators for like audiobooks, they're going to be fine. They're already making a decent living. Uh, like the the guys who do the the people who do the trailer movie trailer voices, like Tony Rogers, he, he's going to be fine. Like AI is not going to take his job because he's one of two dozen people that everybody, when you hear the voice, you know. This is the guy I hear in the movie trailers. But people starting out, you know, it's tough because you have to you have to go on like these little pay-to-play sites. Uh, you have to do stuff like uh, the gig uh, websites where you're charging like 10 bucks for something that is really worth more than that. And that's, I feel bad. I feel bad for people who are trying to get in, dropping money uh, with the hope that they'll break through when the doors are closing, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe there will be some legislation about AI use of voice, but honestly, it feels like the, it feels like the squirrels are out of the bag <laughs> at this point. So one thing I'm definitely hearing there is that sort of as the barrier to entry is getting lower and lower, competition is rising quite a lot. And when it's as competitive as you're describing, especially with that, you know, two people making a living or a hundred people making a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, prior to, I think about 2010, um, there wasn't, there weren't a lot of people streaming. Uh, doing video games or whatever. Uh, and then by 2016 or 17, yeah, just about everybody who was a streamer was also saying they were a voice actor. Mm. And yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. You can put whatever title you want next to your name. Um, I'm not gatekeeping anyone. If you if you get jobs and you're doing it and you want to say your voice, go for it, you know? But uh, anybody who invested a lot of time into getting good at something and then you're all of a sudden like what do you mean i have to have an instagram account what do you mean i have to get really good at outreach and social media i have a, i have to learn tiktok dances what are you talking about i'm a voice actor i'm not I, yeah you have to put on the clown hat sometimes and dance for them the people who might see you because attention is how your website gets traffic and if your website gets traffic then google realizes you're a person of interest and then people who actually want to hire you for money can find you but that's a really uh, convoluted road to have to walk to get work like you got to do a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with your industry or career or livelihood or skill set you have to do that just to get traffic so that people can find you when they need to hire somebody. That's a lot of work. And uh, that's tough. That's really tough. So do you ever find yourself wearing the big rubber shoes and clown wig, so to <laughs> say? Oh, hells yeah, all the time. Are you kidding? I try to pick the stuff I want to do, like the fun stuff I want to do. Um you know, whether it's like I, I do a podcast called Rated RPG. Uh, that's a Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast. 
Uh, I've done, you know, the video game playthrough stuff. Our goal wasn't to like, hey, we're going to get a lot of traffic and we're going to... No, our goal was, hey, wouldn't it be funny if Christopher Walken played Skyrim and then he was talking about everything. It was really funny. So that's, you know, that's why we did that. And so that's the struggle, right? Like, if you're disingenuous and you're just doing something to get web hits, I think people might see through that. And then there, and the, plus you're not going to break through if it's not good. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but so yeah, I, I do. I do put on the clown nose <laughs> from time to time. So I really like Dungeons and Dragons. That's one of oh, that's dude. One, I'm I'm a big fan, but I will I will try and do my best to stick to the <laughs> to, to what I've got in front of me. So I noticed on your website you list that you have so, that you are involved in a lot of different ways with that: the narrator, dungeon master, writer, producer, and for a long time editor of this. Uh, what is yeah. it like juggling all those roles? So if you play Dungeons and Dragons and you're the dungeon master or the game master for the game, you have a lot of work to prep and build up, then make sure that you're prepared for the for the game so that your players have fun. And uh, in the case of doing it. For a podcast, you also have to think about your audience. Are they going to have fun? Are they going to enjoy it? Is the story compelling? And does it need to be told? Is Does anyone care? Uh, and then also, if you're doing the editing, you have uh, a lot of flexibility. Because if you flub a line or if you get a rule wrong or something like that, you can go back and you can fix it. Uh, it turned out to be a lot of time editing and uh, when we found our editor, uh, she was already a, a huge fan of the podcast mm. and a huge fan of the, a lot of the stuff that we did collectively as a group. So uh, I felt super lucky, and she's so good at editing. Uh, and, and also, it, it still works. It still fits. It doesn't feel like it's a whole new thing. It feels like it's a continuation. And it's got, you know, she's got her own flavor. When she edits it, it's amazing. So uh, I don't know, again, I don't know if I answered that question. The squirrels are getting out, man. <laughs> to tell yeah. you. So you said that you cut out sort of a lot. Is there anything that you remember cutting out where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we talked so long and it's just all going out? Because I can imagine that if I was doing oh, something like that, the, I'd find myself cutting it, out like probably 30 minutes of talking about if you can make that jump. Oh, are you talking about the the pod, the Dungeons oh, yeah. and the Dragons podcast? Uh, yeah. So when we did our first podcast season, it was like uh, ninety episodes or so. Uh, it was Is over it the weekly? pandemic, and we were together in person for some of it, and then not for the rest of it. And we were live streaming, and then taking the audio from the live stream and editing it. It was not ideal, and a lot of times we would have big spans of time where we weren't actually playing the game; we we're just goofing around or whatever. Uh, but now that we're really focused on the podcast, there's way less of that. I think it used to be an hour of audio could equate to about 30 minutes of finished podcast. Mm -hmm. And now it's probably closer to an hour of podcast is 45 minutes of actual, or an hour of recording is actually 45 minutes. So we focus and we just play the game and we know exactly what we need to do to move the story forward and yeah we explore the characters and we have fun and we get you know a little sidetracked but everybody's on the same page and that's when you know you really got something because not having to say hey guys come on focus up we're doing a thing 
yeah, that's that's amazing to not to everybody just does it, you know. So, like, what's what sort of stuff do you usually end up cutting? Did you usually end up cutting out? Uh, anything redundant, like if we had to go over a rule more than once, or um, if somebody was doing a bit, <laughs> like that happens sometimes, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't complementary to the game or didn't move the story. Like, yeah, you just edit out things that didn't work. Sometimes there's some. Sometimes somebody would make a joke or a phrase and it wouldn't land because they weren't, the timing wasn't right. They they waited too long to say the thing. Yeah. So usually That's a it nice wasn't like to cut out people's yeah. bad jokes. <laughs> yeah. It happens. I mean, either you self censor or you have somebody edit it, and you, sometimes you just learn how to self censor. And it's not a bad thing to censor yourself. It's more of just awareness of like. Okay, I have this thought in my head. Let's just put that under my tongue because it doesn't need to be said. I don't need to ask questions that don't pertain to the thing that we're doing, you know. So you said that the production of this kicked off. I mean, I, I mean, I, I also noticed this right around when the pandemic started. What was that like? Yeah. Did that, that help? That was ridiculous. That was horrible. Yeah, it was like, hey, I got this really great idea, guys. And for a year, we worked on it. Like, we, we workshopped oh this gosh. idea, and we talked about it. We bought equipment. We invested in all, the website and all this stuff. And then, like, two months into it, they're like, was it uh, we're be shutting down. before that? Yeah, we started oh. in person. Yeah, we started in person. I think we had about a – we did once a That's... month sessions, and they were about four hours each. So we'd get – you know, three or four episodes out of a ah. out of a session, three episodes out of a session, and uh, and then you know, COVID hit, and uh, we all you know were in our thirties and forties, so you know our parents are a little older, and and we didn't want to get them sick, and we didn't want to get sick ourselves. If I get sick, if I catch a cold or something, I, I can't work for two weeks. So you know, I I was really careful. Uh, and yeah, we all avoided COVID for quite a while. Uh, one of us caught it first, you know, but we, we stopped doing in person because it was easier to just be at home and do it and record, you know, our sessions that way. So now we have a live stream that we do, uh, the last Tuesday night of every month. That's one adventure. And then the other adventure is just recorded every other week. And then we drop uh, new podcast episodes about weekly. We're not like... I know, I know, consistency in releasing the podcast episodes is super important, but look, uh, we're gonna do what we're <laughs> we're gonna do what we're gonna do, uh, and sometimes you have to cut yourself some slack, you know. I, I think we're about wrapping up here. Is there anything else you wanted to add on? Uh, I hope that anyone who hears this, who has had interest in getting into the voiceover industry, I hope I didn't make it sound like it's dire and you shouldn't do it. Because I didn't know that this little corner of the industry existed. And just like I didn't know that, like there's no way for any of us to know what things are going to look like in five years. If you get into doing this now, uh, you might find there's a right turn or a left turn coming up in a couple of years. And then suddenly, there you are. You're poised to take advantage of that. And to do a thing that you love to do is worth something, too. So don't let my curmudgeonly old man ways 
dictate your choices. Do what you do. What makes you happy. All right. Well, thank you, Jason. And of course, you bet. You seem exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to my wife. <laughs> she knows I'm exceptional. I shouldn't have said that. That's a that's an old man joke. Hey. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.